Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you that the goodness that you have, you have for us. And that um, we, we were made with you in mind. And so, Father, tonight as we talk about Esther and we talk about bridges, Father, we pray that we thank you for the bridge that you made for us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Howdy. Yeah. It's Wednesday night again. And if you're here for the first time, um, Rick's in Africa. Any updates on Rick? Still yeah, in Africa. Yeah, he's yeah, still in Africa. They got the ID they needed. Um, God continues to make a way. Cool, cool. So, um, and do they have a, uh, like a comeback date at all yet or still? It's still? No. No. Not official, yet. <laughs> Not official. Okay. So, hang in and keep praying for him. Yeah. All right? We're praying they're back by the end of this month. Back by the end of this month, yep. Sounds good. So um, the very first thing I always do in my classroom, uh, I'm Jim Crouch. I'm a history teacher by day, um, and occasionally they let me teach the word. So I love doing that. But uh, the first thing I do when I have, like today, I got my students in class, and we did something yesterday, and we re we, I taught them something yesterday. The very first thing I did when they came in today, I said, so what do you remember about what we learned yesterday? And we go over that, so that, because it, it should build, because Esther 2 builds off of Esther 1, right? And if you remember at the beginning of Esther 1, I gave you a whole bunch of background on how they ended up in captivity. Remember that? So two, two here's a question for you. What two things caused them to go into captivity? Do you remember? Idolatry, Idolatry disobedience. and disobedience. Perfect, you guys, good job, good job. Yeah. Um, okay, so what else do you remember about the ruler? What do you remember about the ruler? Yeah, Vashti. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had a beautiful wife. Yeah. What was he driven by? Pleasure. And who had his ear? Advisors. Okay, so a man driven by pleasure, a man, uh, uh, a man who's, who ear... And access, we're going to find this out later, he gives more access to his advisors than he does to his wife and his queen. Okay? And, I had to, and some people asked me afterwards, they said, hey, Jim, you're a history teacher. Um, okay, aren't the Persians supposed to socially party? Remember because the queen had her party and the king had his party? Aren't they supposed to do that? And I, I said, I don't think so. The Persians were that way. So I went back and I looked. And they, they weren't. Um, they actually, it's, it's interesting, and I hate to geek out on you history-wise here, but they, the, the queen and the, the, the king's mom actually had very high social status in the Persian environment and social circles. And women, I won't say they were equal with men, but they weren't. I think what people were thinking about is the Greeks. The Greeks, men and women were apart, and they did everything apart. So I just wanted to kind of give a little history background on that. Um, and so we're going to start in with, with chapter 2, but before we go to chapter 2, if you are reading, if you're sitting at home or whatever and you're reading, and you read chapter 1, and then you go right into chapter 2, you're going to get a false impression, I'm going to tell you right now. Okay? Do you guys remember what I said between chapters 1, 2, and 3? Do you remember what I said last week? There's timestamps and there's gaps, three, four, five years between chapters. So that's the first thing I, when, we, when we start out chapter one, um, you have to understand 
at the end of chapter one, as you said, he got rid of his beautiful wife. He got angry at her and got rid of her because his advisors told him to do so. All right. So now if you are starting to read chapter two, verse one, you're going to go, OK, he just got rid of his wife and action. Verse one. After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus subsided, he remembered Vashti, what she had done, and what had been decreed against her. Okay, so doesn't it sound like, okay, he's, it's the night after, he got rid of the queen, and he's having after that, oh, what did I do? I got stupid. What was I thinking, right? That's what you're thinking, right? No, four years have gone by. Four years have gone by, and in the process, remember he had a six-month party? The six-month party was to plan the invasion of Greece. Guess how that went? Not so good. Not so good. He was unsuccessful. So he's back from his invasion to Greece, his unsuccessful invasion to Greece. He's back home. He's not thinking about Vashti in a remorseful way. He's just, he's in a bad mood. He came home in a bad mood. I know that happens to some of us, yes? Okay, so he's in a bad mood, and he happens to remember this, okay? Um, and, and I told you last week, too, I was going to camp out on wrath for a second. Not for a second. It's going to be about a minute, two minutes. Um, we're going to talk about wrath, and so I'm going to introduce these to you if you've never seen these before, okay? So he's angry over losing Greece, but um, for me, and, and, and I... Because when it came up twice there and the Lord just said, um, I want you to stop and pause and talk about wrath. I want you to talk about anger. And so we're going to spend just, a, just a, a few minutes here talking about anger. All right. For me, and it's, and it's an issue for me. This is my card. I'll talk about this card here in a second. Um, but for me, it's, it has been a problem. I'm, I'm confessing that to you. I have a problem with anger from time. And, and anger, I look at it in three, um, three, three waves so to speak, three um, steps. The first step is I get angry, okay? And I think this is probably common for people to get angry. But I, I say this, okay, but um, from here on out, after you get, we, I think we all get angry, yes? Is there anybody here who doesn't get angry? just want to know that right now, if there's any saints, real saints. <laughs> we all get angry, okay? So here's the problem, though. The next step, for me, tends to be words, Words. You with me? That's the second wave. And it says here in, um, well, first off, let me back up with if he, uh, if, getting angry is not a sin. Because it says in Ephesians 4, 6, be angry, but do not sin. So we're all going to get angry. So, so far, we're okay. It's when we get to that second step, when words come out, that's when we're kind of, we're losing it here. Proverbs 15, 1 says, a harsh word stirs up anger. So that's that. That's that step you need to stop from because the third step for me is actions. Okay, you're angry, you say something, and then you do something. You throw something or whatever. You, you're going to do something. And, and um, Proverbs 29, 11 says, a fool vents his feelings. So we all agree we need to stop after st step one, correct? It's okay to get angry. It happens to the best of us. Um, but it's the steps two and three what comes out of your mouth or what you do with that wrath um, as the king had is where we mess up. And so um, I'm going to stop just to pause and give you a little bit of naval aviation so you can back me up here too. 
um, NAV, uh, NAVAIR, um, and I won't uh, go through all the acronyms, there's too many of them, develop a book called NATOPS. Each aircraft has a NATOPS manual, and it's about this thick, all right? And it determines everything that, that you're supposed to do and how to operate in the airplane. And I'm not gonna deal with all of that tonight, but I'm gonna deal with emergency procedures. In the aircraft, you have typically, at least it's been 20 years since it's been in a cockpit, I don't know if it's changed at all, but you have an enunciator panel with all the caution lights and it sits right in front of the pilot, right in, in the prowler, it sat between the two of us so we could both see it. And the lights, the color of the light indicates the severity of the problem. Green lights are good. Green lights are good, right? It's a yellow light is a cautionary light. A red light is a serious light. And if I remember right, and I, I'm, I'm do, dealing with 20 years of knowledge here, but I thought it was a red light meant there was imminent uh, damage or danger. So something was going to break or somebody was going to get hurt when a red light came on. Okay? Certain sins are red lights. And so what we did in, a, in the cockpit is you had emergency procedures that you knew by heart. You knew by heart, whenever this light goes off, I'm going to do these four steps. And you didn't even think about them because you drilled them and you drilled them and you drilled them. You made cards for every single emergency procedure and you operated without even thinking about it. You know, you'd be like four steps in and then you, we had this little pocket natops. And so we'd be like, you know, we do all the emergency procedures, boom, 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 boom. And then somebody would break out the, okay, what do we do now? Now that we got the emergency, we're safely flying and we got the problem dealt with, what do we do now? And um, so I made myself, and, and you, you're, you're free to use this too if you've got an anger one. I got a two-step emergency procedure for anger. You ready for that? Okay. So it's a two-step, and the first step is to get your mind right. The first step is just a mind thing. The second step is an action item. Make sense? First, first thing is get your thought right. Well, although they both are that. So, so for um, the first step is... Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Okay, so that's step one. When that wrath light, the red light comes on, wrath. Okay, just remember that. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. All right, here's the action step. Ephesians 4, verses 23 and 24. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And so that's the, those are the, that's my two-step emergency procedure for wrath that, you know, or for anger. And so the king had an anger problem. And you can make these cards. Um, anybody who's been uh, in, in an aircraft, at least in the Navy that I know of, we used to have a ream of these things with a, with a, with a little... Uh, uh, C, C ring that went through them and you had to and you were continually refreshing 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 you always had them up here and ready for access I encourage you to make one make one if you've got whatever red light comes on in your in your life all the time on a regular basis make one I mean if it's anger I, I, I did I did it for you if it's lust make one if it's whatever whatever it is the problem that keeps coming back shame um, whatever, the, whatever the enemy comes at with you, make an emergency procedure and use it. How's that? Okay, so there was the wrath part. I wanted to just go through that. So four years have passed, and we find that out from verse 16. Verse 16 will tell us that there's a four-year um, passing. Verse 2, 
Then the king's servants who attended him said, okay, so wait, let me back up here. Let me back up. So he's mad and he's angry over Greece, right? And so look at the solution that's presented to him. This is so crazy. Um, then the king's servants who attended him said, let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king and let the king appoint officers in all the providences of a kingdom that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to Shushan the citadel into the women's quarters under the custody of Haggai the king's eunuch, uh, custodian of the women, and let beauty preparations be given them. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be the queen instead of Ashti. This thing pleased the king. And he did so. Okay? So here we go. We've, he's, he's driven by pleasure. The man is driven by pleasure. Okay? And I think I told you guys this too. I, I, I'm a history guy. I'm a history teacher. I teach. I've taught on the Persians. I used to think really highly of Xerxes. Not so much anymore. Kind of slid down. The guy is driven by pleasure. And the people around him know this. And it just seems like he's so easy to lead this way or to lead that way. Um, but once again, remember in, in Psalm 139, how we are wonderfully made. God makes us for the environment for which we're about to be put into. If you're about to be put into this workplace or this workplace or this marriage, God makes you specifically for that. And so pay attention to how Xerxes is because God is making a bridge for his people and he's going to put it there. And it's perfect for Xerxes. Make sense? Okay. So, um, yeah. The bridge, the bridge here that God is making is, it's a bridge for God's, between um, God's people and provision. He's making a bridge. And Xerxes is, 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 is going to be, you're going to play a part with that bridge. And that was the thing too. I, I wrote down a couple of verses here. Um, that it's kind of, we sometimes when God is doing something, we don't always see it. We don't always know it. I mean, things happen all around. Like, you know, Jake was talking about what's going on in our world today. And we kind of look at it and we go, oh, really? Again, we did this, we did this. But really, all these things are working for a purpose. Okay? The end is near. I don't know about you, but I want to be about my father's business. I want to be found doing my father's business when Jesus shows up. Amen. Amen. So here's the thing. Because here's the thing. We, the promise we know, Romans 8, 28, what, all things work together for who? All things work together for good for? Yep. Yep. For those who love God and called according to his purpose. So all these things that are happening... Um, it's all going to work out. And that's the other thing, too, is we don't know. We can't see things clearly now, can we? We see things dimly, but then we'll see face to face. It'll all make sense later, all the stuff that's going on. And the things that are going on here may not have made sense, but now that we get to look at it from the rearview mirror, we go, oh, that makes total sense. Now, verse 5. In Shishan the citadel, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shammai, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite. Kish uh, had been carried away from Jerusalem with captives and had been captured uh, with Jeconah, the king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. Okay, I think I said this last week, and hopefully I didn't kind of mess it up or muddy it up, but God's been working with me through Esther. I've had a whole bunch of misconceptions the first time I went through Esther that God kind of like sat me down and said, are you sure about that? And would show me some stuff. And then I'd go, oh, sorry about that. 
Mordecai. I wrestled with Mordecai. Gosh, did I wrestle? I wrestled with Mordecai easily a month. I wrestled with him. And I was trying to make this guy look good because uh, I knew he's in the Bible and he does a good thing. So he's got to be a good guy, right? But I kept finding all these faults with him. Silly little things like his name. Do you guys know what his name means? It's an interesting name. It's a very interesting name. When I first looked at it, it's, uh, it, uh, um, it's a, a follower of Mars or a follower of Marduk. Marduk uh, is the same as Bel. It's a Babylonian god. So here's a Jewish guy, fourth generation, fourth generation. If you look at the names of his great-grandfather, his grandfather, and his dad, Hebrew name, Hebrew name, Hebrew name, Babylonian god. I'm like, what's up with that, God? What's with this guy? How is he the hero of the show? He's got a name of worshiper of God, a worshiper of a, a Babylonian God. That doesn't make sense. Okay. And so I, I looked into it and I, and I, I, um, I pondered it. Um, and, and it was kind of interesting. Even today, I was still wrestling. Okay. So maybe it's been two months I've been wrestling with Mordecai. Um, but today, I found out something interesting. His name, and I didn't know this. Maybe, maybe you guys already knew this, but I didn't know this. His name has a Hebrew meaning and a Persian meaning. The Persian meaning is kind of like um, Daniel got a, got a Babylonian name, right? For the same exact God, by the way. Um, but he, this, this, Mordecai has two meanings. It has a Hebrew meaning and a, a Babylonian meaning, meaning. And so the Hebrew meaning um, means bitter oppression or crushing. Bitter oppression or crushing. And I don't know about you, but that unlocked a whole bunch of things for me. Bitter oppression or crushing. Okay, because we all know this. We don't know, if we don't know this, you're going to find this out in about 10 minutes. Esther is not a Hebrew name. Okay, she had a Hebrew name, and we're going to talk about that in a second, and her name got changed. And I'm like, really? Okay, I just got done studying Daniel. Does Daniel ever hide behind, uh, does he ever hide who he is? No, the dude's like, hey, watch, just give me, give, me, give me kosher food and watch what happens to me. I'll be fine. Hey, you, we can't pray? Uh, watch me three times a day. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pray. And so here we come, we come into this name here. We're going to come into two names, both with Mordecai and with Esther. And their name is kind of hidden. But there's, I think that was a clue today. I, I, got, I stumbled about that. Um, bitter oppression or crushing. I think his parents um, felt, uh, and it, it actually, it makes much more sense. When you think about Esther, there's a whole bunch of anti-Semitism going on, yes? And so his parents were basically, in naming him, were basically giving us a clue to the climate of the times. Okay, that there was a anti-Semitic uh, oppression that was, in, that was in the air that caused also, which we're going to find out, Esther's name to be changed. Um, and so the, the, finally I, I wrestled with the Lord and I wrestled with the Lord and I wrestled with the Lord. And so finally um, the, the Lord reminded me, he says, how do we know um, how somebody's heart is? Look at their fruit. Because can a good tree produce bad fruit? Can a bad tree produce good fruit? Nope. 
So here's what I, the Lord said. The Lord said, okay, I want you to start keeping a score tab on Mordecai. Keep a score tab on him. Um, and I tell you, I've already finished the book, studying it, and Mordecai's in the plus column. There's one thing at the end, if we, if, if we get, you know, at some point in time, I'll, if we get a, ch a chance with you, I'll share with you. So there's some things at the end where I kind of like, I put him in the neutral column, but the guy comes out in the plus column for the most part. So that was a settled issue for me. So Mordecai, don't be tripped up by the fact that his name sounds like he's a follower of Marduk. Okay, think bitter oppression. All right. Verse 7. And Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter. I got to say that again, his uncle's daughter. Um, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. Okay, so I got to ask this to you. Because um, what, what was the relationship between Esther and Mordecai? What were they? Cousins. I, um, I was watching something the other day. I think it was on YouTube. I just, just for giggles, um, I, 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 looked, I looked for, see if there was a movie on Esther, and there was. And I get to like first five minutes of the movie, and um, Esther comes up to Mordecai, and she goes, Uncle Mordecai! And I'm like, that's not right. They're cousins. They're cousins. Make sense? Okay. I just shattered something for you. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, so this is, uh, Esther is his younger cousin. Um, and here's the other thing too. Once again, and I'm giving you some of the back stuff too. Uh, if Mordecai knew, had Jewish roots and knew his, his Jewish customs, Esther knew them too. Okay? Because I'm going to tell you right now too, I eventually, or I originally held it against Esther too, and a lot of it was with Daniel. I had, Dan I had just been imprinted with Daniel. And Daniel goes in and, and doesn't hide who he is. Esther goes in and hides who she is. And there's a reason for that. We'll get to that. That's okay. Um, but, okay, so let's go through her, her two names. I love names. I don't know about you. I always look at names. And when we named our boys, we, we spent time on each one when we named them. Okay, so her original name was Hadassah. Hadassah is a, is, is, is a myrtle tree, is the myrtle tree. And I guess that has very, uh, a lot of sim symbolism in, Ju in, uh, in Hebrew uh, uh, circles because a myrtle tree only grows where there is fresh water uh, in, 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 in creek, in, uh, whatever you call it, ravines. It grows in ravines where there's fresh water. And it's a symbol of God's renewal and God keeping his promises, the myrtle tree. So Hadassah is a symbol of God's renewal and God keeping his promises. Make sense? Okay, because it's kind of cool. I think there's a little message hidden in here. What does Esther mean? Anybody know what Esther means? Star? Star? Secret or hidden? Secret or hidden. So her name means she's secret or hidden. All right? So what happens when you put the two names together? What does it say? God's promise of renewal will be hidden for a while. I added the for a while there myself. Because she's can, God's promise of provision is coming. But right now, it's not obvious. Isn't that kind of cool? Yeah, so once again, Esther's off the hook. I was holding it against her that she got the hidden secret name, but then God says, oh yeah, 
There's a message there. You missed the message. Go back and read the memo. So anyways, yeah. Um, verse 8. So it was when the king's command and decree was heard, um, and when many young women were gathered at Shishan the citadel, under the custody of Haggai, that Esther also was taken to the king's palace into the care of Haggai, the custodian of the women. Now the young woman pleased him, and she obtained his favor. So he readily gave beauty preparations to her besides her allowance. Um, then, seven choice, um, then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace. And he moved her and her maidservants to the best place in the house uh, of the women. So we're getting our first hint here. We're going to find out later on in this chapter. Esther has a superpower. She has a special gift. She has a special gift. And we'll talk about it. I think it's like in verse 15 or something like that. But she, this is the first time we see that gift in action. That, that special, God made her a special way, right? Okay. We're, this is the first time we see it. She gets three bennies just because of her superpower that she has. And I, I hesitate to say superpower because that, like, that sounds like comic book, right? I want to say gift. But the way to understand this gift, it is, it's a powerful gift. The way God made her opens doors for her. She doesn't have to do anything. She just walks into the room. Boom. You see her. You can't help it. You got to just, what do you need? What do you need? You know, it's like, whatever. So, uh, I'm sorry if I, I'm trying to introduce humor here. Once again, we got the C team. You know, what can I say? Okay, so here's, she's got three, the, the three doors are going to open. The first one is going to be, um, or three things are going to be affected because this first one is her appearance is affected. She's going to get um, uh, beauty preparations. Some of your uh, um, um, uh, versions will say that she got special food. And I looked it up because we, I, had an, I had a discussion with a good friend um, and they were saying, ah, oh, look at, see, she got kosher food. And then I looked it up and the word's like, no, it's, it's um, ointments and bath things. It is. It's like, you know, stuff you put on your skin. So it's not food. So some versions say food, but that's, I think, not a, a good um, translation. So, so the first thing, her appearance is going to be affected. Because of this gift, this superpower, her appearance is going to be affected. Um, the next thing is her routine is going to be affected. She's going to get, what does it say, seven? Seven handmaids. Seven handmaids. So does she have to do any heavy lifting? Okay, ladies, how would you like to have seven maids? Okay, and oh, by the way, oh, by the way, this is even the better part. Their job is to make you look good. <laughs> Guys, how can that not work out for us? Seven maids, handmaids, okay? And then the last thing she says, her attitude's going to be affected. She gets the best house or the best room in the house. She's either, I don't know, it's in Persia, so my mind was wandering. I'm thinking there's either a good view from that room or it's the coolest room uh, uh, where the ladies stay. Somehow or another, she's got an advantage that's going to affect her attitude. Because if you, if you, you know, if everybody else is, you know, they, they're, they're, they're look, this is their view, you know, whereas you got a room with a view, you're like, <laughs> sorry, sorry, ladies, but hey, the view's great. And there's a breeze up here when I open the window, it's perfect. You know what I mean? So she's got this going for her. This is her superpower in action. So, verse 9. Wait a second, is it verse 10? 
Okay, verse 10. Sorry. Uh, Esther had not revealed her people or family for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. And every day Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. Okay, so, so she's concealing her identity, all right, because Mordecai told her not to. So you got to keep in mind they're cousins, but he was like an adoptive father, all right? And so... Um, Okay, once again, I'm, I'm almost like take, 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 taking the you know, Old Testament and New Testament in the sense of like, I used to think Mordecai was this, and now I think this. Okay, so here's what I originally faulted him with. He's a worrier. He's worrying about Esther because he put, he put her up to this scheme, and he's concerned the scheme is going to blow up. He told her to conceal who she is, and, and he's worried. So he's out pacing in front of where, where, they're, where she's at. Make sense? That's my thinking. Welcome to the world of Jim's thinking. Now let me tell you, I, I once again took this before God. I said, hey God, Mordecai, here's another check in the box against this dude. And um, Les, I gotta, I gotta bless you on this one. Because I see, you ever see Les walking around town? Yeah. I see him all the time. Do you know what he's doing? I call it prayer walking. I don't know if there's an official term for it. He's prayer walking. God said, how do you know what Mordecai's doing? How do you know he wasn't talking to me? How do you know he wasn't praying over Esther? Okay, I'll be quiet, God. I'll be quiet. You with me? Yeah. And so, um, once again, there's, there's this bridge. This bridge is being made. Mordecai is putting prayer preparations down for it. Okay? He's putting prayer preparations down for it. I honestly think that. Um, verse 12. Each young woman's turn came to go into King Ahasuerus uh, after she had completed 12 months preparation according to the regulations for the women. For thus were the days of their preparations apportioned six months with oil of myrrh and six months with perfumes and preparations for beautifying the women. Okay? And so um, there's this 12-month period and, um, and it says, okay, you know, it says, okay, to, to get them prettier and prettier and prettier. But I think quite honestly, the way you come in the door, I mean, maybe a, a month or so, and that's about as pretty you're going to be. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. But I honestly think there's a 12-month period. First and foremost, did you come in the door pregnant? Okay, nine months have gone by. We know you're not pregnant. Okay, you are a virgin. And then, oh, by the way, you don't have any diseases. And oh, by the way, you are going to be a wife of the king. We have got to get you. Okay, the, the providences, he goes, he controlled from India up to um, Greece, all the way up to, or down to Egypt. He controls all this. So there's a whole bunch of cultures with a whole bunch of weird things that they do that aren't Persian customs. And so he's going to give these ladies a year to be trained in court. How do you act in court? Because these are ladies from all over the place. So there's a year. The year's put on them. Verse 13. Thus prepared each young woman. Uh, each young woman went to the king, and she was given whatever she desired to take with her for the, from the women's quarters to the king's palace. In the evening she went, and in the morning she returned 
to the second house of the, of the, of the women, to the custody of Shagaz. I love that name, Shagaz. You should, I think you should say it like that every time you read Esther. Shagaz. Anyways, the king's eunuch who kept the concubines, and I actually love the meaning of the name too. I'll give you the meaning of the name. It's just cool. Um, uh, uh, I, I, I lost my track, so I have to say it again. Shagaz. The king's eunuch who kept the concubines, um, she would not go to the king again unless the king delighted in her and called for her by name. Okay? So um, basically, we're, um, uh, it, it, we're outlining the procedures that are going to happen here. And, and uh, you have to understand, too, um, there's going to be two collections of young virgins. Um, and I'll talk more about that later, but there's two collections. This is the first collection, and these are the, the, the wife replacements. We've got to replace the wife. And oh, by the way, one of the wives is going to be the queen. All right? And so this is the wife replacements. Now, what's really, really cool, and um, Leanne's not here. Leanne and I had a really interesting discussion about when was Esther married? When was Esther married? And we had a lively discussion. And the cool part was she thought this and I thought this and we didn't know. We're just out there. Well, now I know. The history guy went and did some digging. The history guy found out, okay? I found out, uh, and guess, it's interestingly enough, it's ironic how I know this. Because somebody very famous who was Greek married a Persian princess. Guess who that was? Alexander the Great. And guess what the Greeks did? They recorded the wedding. And uh, well, you guys who are like have these Western weddings and stuff, you're going to be really disappointed in a Persian wedding. You ready for a Persian wedding? I'm going to read, I'm going to read you, this is uh, Alexander the Great's, the Greeks' description of Alexander's uh, wedding, which was done in the uh, culturally Persian normal way. Okay, ready? Okay, so this is the wedding. Ready? Here it goes. The bride entered the room and sat beside the bridegroom. Okay, so the bride comes in, sits down next to the bridegroom. He took her hands and kissed them. The two ate from the same loaf of bread sliced in two parts by a sword. They did communion, right? After the ceremony, her husband took the bride to the bedroom. That's it. So Esther, because that was a question that, that Leanne and I were going back, God wouldn't let Esther go to the, that bed without being married. And I'm like, why not? It's, he's a Persian guy. He's going to do whatever he wants. And, and, and so, so Leanne was right. Leanne, if you're listening, you were right. So, um, but I, I just figured, you know, you know, when Rome do as the Romans do, right? But I was wrong. So there we go. That's a public confession. That's the best kind, right? Yeah. So, so she, she did get married. She got married. Um, it was kind of, it's not like the wedding that we all think of, but it, she did get married. Um, and so, um, so they go from the first house to the second house. And do you remember who, who, was the, who was the eunuch in charge of the second house? Shagas. You know what it means? Servant of the beautiful. So husbands, we should all be shagas. All right? Amen. Amen. There we go. Yeah. So you got, you got a new word that you can take home with you. Right? Servant of the beautiful. Um, let me see here. 
Oh, this is kind of sad, though, too. This is really sad. Okay, so these ladies come in, they're married to the king, and then they go into the second house with shagas, right? But what's the sad part about that? What happens next? This kind of breaks my heart. Okay, so you have to understand, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you the facts later. A bunch of women were collected. A bunch of women were collected. They only got to go back to their husband again if he found something pleasing with them. So some of these women, I'm guessing, I'm, okay, I'm just, I'm just guessing here, but he, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming he had favorites. And I'm going to tell you, he did have one favorite because she had a superpower, right? But if, if for some reason she was beautiful and she was worthwhile and she was married to the king, yet if he never called her by name again, she never got a call back. She would just grow old and wither. And it's just sad. To me, that was sad. That was sad. Because, and, and once again, I'll get it, because I'm getting ahead of myself here, but there's a second collection. The second collection are for concubines. There's a second collection of virgins we're going to read about here in a second. That's for concubines, which even ups the numbers even more for the, the, the chances of you get, not getting called back. And that's sad. That's sad. For me, that's sad. All right, so verse 15. This is where we get to find out about her superpower. And maybe you guys can help me with that. We'll come up with a different term than superpower, all right? Here we go. Verse 15. Now, when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, um, who had taken her as his daughter, to go into the king, she requested nothing but what Haggai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women, advised. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. She obtained favor in the sight of only a few people who saw her? All. Okay, I looked up that Hebrew word for all. Guess what it means? All. So if you saw her, what would you, what do you want? What, what, what can I get for you? You know, it's just, it's a, I don't like superpower. What's a better word? Somebody got a better word for that? Sorry, I'm conducting this like I do my classroom. <laughs> if you think of one, let me know, okay? Let me know. So, um, now here's, but, but it brings up another thing too. Okay, I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but I'm not the most handsomest guy out there. I, she thinks so, but, the, you know, I, I get, I'm, I, I look in the mirror, I know what I look like. Do you ever feel like that's an unfair advantage? Pretty people have an unfair advantage. Now, if you're a pretty person, you're like, hey, get over it, man, deal with it, right? But, you know, it's, uh, I, I, I kind of like, well, this isn't fair. All the, because, okay, remember I told you I was sad about all these other ladies that didn't call, get callbacks? Esther's going to get a callback. We know that, right? Because she's got verse 15 going for her, right? And so I was like, I was so sad. And I was like, this is unfair, God. Why did you do this? You know what the Lord said? Guess where promotion comes? Promotion comes from the Lord. The Lord promotes one above the other, you know? And then that's the thing we have to sometimes, because promotion doesn't always come to us when we want it. But it's in God's timing. And as I started off with, with Psalm 139, he made us the way we need to be. He promoted us when we needed to be promoted. And he didn't promote us when we didn't need to be promoted. Does that make sense? We have to have that peace 
that God's in charge of promotion. And it says so, if you, if you want to look that up too, uh, go, feel free to read it. It's Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7. It says, For exaltation, some versions say promotion, comes from neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. So I trust in him. I, I know he knows what he's doing. So I'm okay with her getting an unfair advantage. Verse 16. So Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the 10th month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. There's your time stamp right there. The king loved, that's interesting, loved Esther more than any other woman, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. Um, so he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Um, then the king made a great feast, the Feast of Esther, for all his officials and servants, and he proclaimed a holiday in the providences and gave gifts according to the generosity of, of, of a king. Okay? So he loved. And the word there for loved means he had affection. Remember, this is pleasure guy. Everything, please me, please me, please me. He actually has affection for Esther. And I think that's kind of cool. But if you think about like the last chapter, remember what the last chapter, what I named it? miserably yoked. He loves his wife now. He is no longer miserably yoked. I think that's kind of cool. Um, and so it's just, it says, she obtained grace and favor in the sight of more than all the other virgins. That word for virgins, they use virgins and brides interchangeably. So um, you could say um, that she obtained grace and favor in the sight more than all the other brides. All right. And so a feast of Esther um, happens. This is a celebration of coronation, okay? Um, and, and for me, this is the naming of the bridge. This is when we find out the name of the bridge. The name of the bridge in Persia between God's people and provision. The name of that bridge is called Esther. Because Esther's got a superpower, right? Yeah, sorry, I, I'm stuck on that. I gotta leave it alone. Verse 19, um, when virgins were gathered together a second time, Mordecai sat within the king's gate. Now Esther had not revealed her family and her people, just as Mordecai had changed her, charged her. For Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai, as when she had brought brought up when she had been brought up by him. Okay. And this is like a total side note. Um, Josephus records there was like four hundred virgins gathered up at this time, four hundred concubines. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Did you know that? Solomon joined the 700 Club? <laughs> he did. I didn't know this. This is very sad, too. Because I was like, okay, uh, is 400 a large number for concubines? You know, that seems like a lot to me. But is that a large number? I don't know. So I went and looked up Solomon. Guess how many wives Solomon had? 700. 700 wives. Remember, he said he joined the 700 Club? Yeah, he had 700 wives. Guess how many concubines he had? 300. We're talking about 1,000 ladies. And, and what did that do for him? He was pretending to be like just like another contemporary king of the time. What did it do for him? This is a very sad thing. This is why you should only have one wife right here. Okay, 1 Kings 11, uh, verses 1 through 3. But King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the 
Sidonians, the Hittites, from nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. That's sad. So I guess that's not a, you know, when, when um, this second collection, um, and I said Josephus recorded 400 for concubines. I guess that's, that was the norm back then. Seems to me, it just seems over the top. Verse 21. In those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, um, two of the, of the king's eunuchs, Betham and Trash, doorkeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And when an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed, and both were hanged on a gallows. Okay? So, once again, back to Jim. He's like going, oh, so I see, Mordecai, you've, you've been elevated now. You're now at the, at the gate, you know? Basically, to, he was elevated to the social level of like a judge. Ah, I see you're, you know, you're swooping in there. Once again, we think God said, what's he doing at the gate? What was he, what did he, what was he, what he, what was he doing before? He was praying. So who's he praying for now? He's probably praying for Persia. He's probably praying for the king. Okay. His position has changed. And so we, 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 we think like man, at least I think, okay, I won't say how you think. I'm going to say how I think. I think like man thinks. And I'm thinking this is a political, you know, deal for him. He's, he's sweet, got a sweetheart deal and he's now, um, you know, at the, at the gate. But I honestly think that he was now, the place where God had called him to pray had shifted. And so that's where he's at. And oh, by the way, where he was called to pray. And this is Jim Crouch reading between the lines here ends up paying dividends, okay? So let me, let me back up for a second um, because I have to, I, I'm sorry, I'm, you, it's, you got a history teacher up here, so a history guy's gotta say, gotta, gotta uh, explain something here, okay? Um, before I go into the history thing, I first gotta also say here too, we're gonna find out in chapter six that, okay, um, well, let me back up, I won't say that. I'll save that for a second here. But let me correct the history thing. Okay, it says hanged on a gallows. I don't know if your version says that. The Persians didn't do that. Persians weren't hanging people. Okay, they kind of copied the Assyrians. The Assyrians were, um, and I won't, I'm not going to get into all the gory ways they killed people. I will tell you how they killed the Persians, though, because it makes sense when you go back and you read later on what's going to happen later on. The way they killed people is really nasty. Um, and, and this is what's going to be set up for Mordecai. What they're going to set up for Mordecai in the, in the, in the days to come, you're going to find out, is they're going to, um, it's a pole. This is how they killed people. This is how they um, terrorized people. They get a pole, and Mordecai is going to be like 75 feet tall or something, or what, I don't remember how tall. It's a huge, huge pole. Um, and they basically take all the branches off of it, and they take your legs, and they pull you onto the pole, and the pole comes out right next to your neck. And you just sit there and scream for a while. It's morbid. These two guys are going to die that way. And the only reason why I went through that, I didn't mean to go through the detail, but that's going to be set up for Mordecai. That is going to be set up for Mordecai. This is what Mordecai has coming down the road headed for him. Okay? 
But don't worry, he's interceding, right? He's at the gate. And what's going to happen? We haven't, we, we haven't found that out, but here we go. So, so these two guys get hanged for what they did. It's recorded in the book. Um, no, we haven't said that. I, I didn't read that part. This is the part I'm going to read. And it was written in the book, in the Chronicles, in the presence of the king. So Mordecai's action, his deeds, are recorded in the book, in the presence of the king. Okay? Now, one small fact we're going to find out, too, in chapter 6. Esther actually says, she says, or somebody says he's a Jew. And I'm assuming it's Esther because Esther's the one who reported it to Ahasuerus. So it's the fact that Mordecai the Jew reported of a, uh, an assassination attack against um, the king that's recorded in the book. All right. Now, here's what's, what's kind of a fascinating thing, too. After a public execution, a man's name is now able to be written in the book. You see a connection there? Yeah, interesting. But anyways, so, um, and, this is, and this is where we're going we're gonna to end here. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about bridges because this is all about bridges. Um, what, what, what is happening there, um, this, this name written in a book, okay? Do you guys know that we all have to have our name written in a book? Did you know that? And if you didn't, um, that we're going to talk about how to get your name written in the book tonight. That's how I'm going to end. We're going to talk about a bridge because there was a bridge between us and God. There was a big, huge gulf that couldn't be, that couldn't be crossed. There's no way we could cross that our works are as filthy rags, right? But there was a bridge that was made. And that bridge is Jesus Christ. I, I love the whole thing with, um, um, why am I drawing a blank with the guy's name? Um, the, 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 the Hebrew guy that Jesus spent the night or we spent the night talking to um, the priest. Nicodemus. Nicodemus, thank you. Nicodemus at night. Nick at night. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that because Nick, he says, he tells Nicodemus, don't you realize you got to be born again? What? How am I supposed to do that? You know, Nicodemus, mind blown. Anyways, but so here's the thing too, is in order to capitalize on this bridge, okay, um, we have to... Um, get a hold of Jesus. We have to get a hold of what he's done. And so um, the, the, I'm, the, I'm going to walk you through some things. First off, the, the need to have your name written in the book is in Revelation. Revelation 20:15 says, anyone not fit in, found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. So you have to get your name written in the book. Um, and so um, this is what Jesus said. He said to Nicodemus in John 3, 7, he says, um, Jesus said to Nicodemus, I got that right. Marvel, not that I said unto you, you must be born again. So how do we get born again? Have you guys ever heard of the Roman road? If you haven't, see those five verses. And if you're listening tonight, um, oh, I forgot, I was supposed to wave to my mom. Hi, mom. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you've never been, if you've never heard, if, okay, first off, if you don't know Jesus, I'm gonna, I, we're going to lead you to Jesus right now. With the, I'm going to lead you down the Roman road. It's a real, uh, there's what, five verses right there that basically will, will, will kind of paint, paint a path for you on how to get saved. You know, how to bridge that gulf. Let Jesus be the bridge for you. Okay, and I'm going to walk you through those things. And if you want to lead somebody to the Lord, those, 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 those verses right there are perfect. Go ahead and copy them down. All right, and so here's the first verse. Romans 3.10. There is none righteous, no, not one. So is any of us going to be good enough to bridge that gap? No, none of us. Okay. Romans 3.23. 
For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us can make it to the other side. We all have sinned and fall short. Make sense? Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Make Jesus Christ your Lord. All right, that's Romans 6.23. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And here's the, I love this one here too. Romans 10, 13. First, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there you have it. So, so if, if tonight, tonight, if you're not saved, um, I, would, I would encourage you to look at those five verses and just kind of spend some time with them. Okay? And worship team, do you guys want to come up? Um, and if... Here's the other thing too. God is a bridge builder. And I kind of talked about this earlier. You are the bridge to your community. Okay? Wherever you are, whatever your workplace is, wherever your family is, you, if you know the Lord, you are the bridge to that place. And God made you perfectly to fit in that place. Just as God made Esther perfectly for King Ahasuerus. Okay? And so spend some time. The time is short. Jake talked about it. I mean, you got to go. I don't know about you guys. I'm not watching the news anymore. The news is so bad. The time is so short. The bridge is going to eventually disappear. Now is the day of salvation. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for just um, we thank you for the bridge that is Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the the love that was um, that was just poured out on the cross. And we, we, we thank you for the access that we have to you, that we can call you Papa. And so, Father, we thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.